Well, good morning, and it is uh, my privilege to be with you this morning. We uh, Summit Bible Church has a special place in our heart at Foothill. Some of you uh, may not know much about Foothill at all, and uh, but somewhat like parents that raise up their children and marry them off, and uh, they start a new life. We who uh, sent families out to plant Summit Bible Church uh, many years ago, uh, are, still have a special place in our heart for you and your congregation. You're on our prayers frequently, and uh, we care about you and about the gospel growth and health here at Summit Bible. And uh, so it's a privilege to, uh, to be with you face-to-face here this morning. Uh, Morgan is a dear brother, Thomas, as well, and uh, we've just been so thankful for the pastoral friendship that we've been able to foster uh, between us. And I just want to say a thank you uh, here. Again, you may have known, may not have known, but a year and a half ago, my, uh, our son uh, had a uh, brain tumor, and he underwent a major surgery, and we were in the hospital many days. I was out of the pulpit uh, for many weeks, and uh, Morgan filled in one of those weeks uh, while I was out of the pulpit. And so, just a thank you to you as a congregation for sharing your pastor with our church during those days. And uh, by God's grace, our son is doing well. He's here this morning, off in his class, and uh, is continuing to grow and, and uh, be strengthened. And so, uh, we praise the Lord for that. Uh, but again, it's just a, <clears throat> a privilege and a joy to be with you, our fellow saints in the Lord, as we labor for the gospel's sake. Uh, here uh, in, the, in the Inland Empire, along the 210 here, even though we're just separated by a few miles. Well, isn't it true that our practical priorities can sometimes differ from our formal ones? In other words, if you were asked, what are your top priorities in your life? You could maybe come up with a list of number one, number two, number three, and on down the, the line. But then if we were to follow you around with a video camera, and based upon how you spent your time and things you talked about, we might come up with a different list of your number one, your number two, and your number three, right? Sometimes our practical priorities don't always line up with our formal ones. This was illustrated um, and confessed rather crudely by the founder of McDonald's, Ray Kroc. He was asked by a reporter what he believed in. And he said initially, he goes, I believe in God, my family, and McDonald's. And then he added, when I get to the office, I reverse the order. Which, at least he was honest. He recognized that those priorities, those things he believed in, didn't stay that way in his day-to-day life. And the same can be true for us. It's just a common fact of life that we can have the best of intentions in desiring to have priorities that honor the Lord and that we set things right and we put it out on paper and we journal it and we say, all right, Lord, I'm going to live this way. And then we set out into our life, into our daily life, and we can end up inverting them and getting them mixed up. And this is especially true in our spiritual lives, that we can sometimes forget what is most important. You remember that Jesus said what the greatest commandment was? shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we know this. Again, we can quote it if we're asked. And yet we can find that our relationship with the Lord at times 
takes a back seat. It's no longer on the front burner. It's no longer the priority. We use the term priorities, plural, but did you know that for, for the first 500 years that that word was invented, it came into the use in around 1400, and uh, up until the last century, it was only used in the singular, priority, because priority means the most important. And by definition, you can't have multiple things that are most important. There can only be one thing that is priority. We use the term priorities somewhat to talk about an ordering of what is most important. But the point is still there, that we need to recognize what is the priority. And in our passage today, we're going to be reminded specifically what it is that Jesus wants to make a priority. And it's really, he wants us to make him a priority. And so I invite you to open your personal copy of God's Word to the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, and verse 38. Luke, I know you guys have been spending some time in Matthew. I've been spending some time in Luke and uh, in our church. And he, Luke wrote his Gospel in order to give an orderly account of the events of Jesus' life, what was accomplished to his friend Theophilus. He wanted to document clearly what took place in the life of the man, Jesus of Nazareth. And he wrote his gospel for Gentiles like you and me to see that Jesus is not just the Savior of the Jews, but he's the Savior for all humanity. And the passage we're going to look at this morning will help to punctuate this point that you and I need Jesus. So let's read our verses this morning Luke uh, chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. It says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Friends, as we look at these few verses here this morning, we're going to see that in order for Jesus to be the first priority in each of our lives, we must recognize three truths. In order for Jesus to be the number one priority in our lives, there's three things that we need to recognize. And the first thing that we're going to need to recognize based upon this passage is, number one, the danger of distraction. The danger of distraction. And we see this in verses 38 and into the first part of verse 40. You look with me at verse 38. It begins with some vague details. It says, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. Now, we know that they, uh, this village is not named here, but we know that Mary and Martha, with their brother Lazarus, lived in the village of Bethany. This is given to us in the Gospel of John. But you notice here that it says, as they went on their way, they were traveling somewhere in the Luke's Gospel This is a section of literature from the end of chapter 9 through chapter 19 that's called the travel narrative in which Jesus is in the last six months of his life and he's headed towards Jerusalem, towards the cross. And so as he went on their way, it says they entered a village. 
Bethany is about two miles east of Jerusalem. It's up over on the other side of the Mount of Olives. And so this means that Jesus is close to Jerusalem here, but he's not entering the city yet. He's going to enter the city in the triumphal entry that will be described later in chapter 19. Upon entering Bethany, Jesus is welcomed into the home of Martha. You'll see it in there in verse 38. It says, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. John 11 verse 5 says this. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved this little family of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were a special group and he delighted to go to them. He had great affection for them. And it seems that he visited them often, and they gave him hospitality. It was a place he could go just outside of Jerusalem where he could get some respite. Uh, And we see that even in uh, the Passion Week leading up to his final days. But from how these three are spoken of, it seems that Martha was probably the oldest. It says that this is her house. She welcomes Jesus in. She seems to be the oldest one. And so you can uh, imagine her telling Jesus, hey, come on in, come on, we've got a place for you. Why don't you just have a seat right over there? We're going to prepare a meal for you. We're just excited that you're here. We're glad that you're here. And so this was her power alley. She kicked into high gear. She loves to fix a meal and to host. And so she starts uh, uh, diving into preparing a meal for the Savior. And so she We can believe that she loved the Lord. She loved Jesus. She wanted to give him her very best. And so she begins to pull out all the stops to be able to host Jesus well. But the text then introduces us to her sister, Mary. Look at it with me in verse 39. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Possibly, again, being the younger sister, She took her cues from Martha. She started listening to Martha who began giving her some instructions. Hey, Mary, go get that bowl. Hey, Mary, go pick up this food. Hey, go do this. And so they start moving together and preparing a meal like they've done so many times before. But it says that she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to her teaching. Verse 40, it says... Martha talking to Jesus, you'll see verse 40, she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? There's a sense in which she may have been helping initially, but she leaves Martha and goes and sits at the feet of Jesus. Her ear was bent to what Jesus is saying. She was trying to work on something, but she was getting distracted and was really of no good and finally sets her stuff down and just goes and sits before Jesus. She wanted to catch every word that he said. She wanted to listen to him. And so it says that she sat at his feet. The verb sat is reflexive, which means that she took the initiative to place herself at Jesus' feet. And this was a bold move. Number one, because it left all the preparations to her sister. She uh, was leaving everything to Martha, and this would have been interpreted by Martha as rude and by those observing to say, what are you doing leaving your sister high and dry? But in addition to that, it was bold because uh, women were rarely welcome to have the pride of place at the, the feet of a rabbi. They were allowed to listen, maybe sit on the edges, but to take the seat at 
the feet of a rabbi indicated a prime place of discipleship. This is the, the posture and position of a disciple. And so Mary was going straight for that central, central position. She was not driven by feminist impulses. She was not just trying to break into a man's world. She was driven by spiritual desires. Mary's heart longed to listen to her Lord, and that led her to sit at Jesus' feet. Mary knew Jesus. This wasn't the first time she'd heard Him. She knew this man welcomed women to come and listen to Him. She knew that she would not be cast aside. She knew that she would not be reprimanded by her Lord. She'd be welcomed. And that's exactly how it happened. And so she put down her mixing bowl or whatever she was working on and sat at the feet of Jesus. And so after this serene description of Mary going to sit at the feet of Jesus, it's very sweet and tender. The scene cuts to Martha in verse 40. And we find her quite distracted. Look at it with me. It says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Distracted. The word distracted here means to be pulled away, right? This is what happens when we're distracted. We're, we're doing something and we're distracted and we're pulled away off to something else. And this is what was happening to Martha. She was pulled away with much serving. She buzzed around the kitchen, going from cutting board to oven, to pantry, to cupboard, to table. She was a blur with activity. She did this well. She knew what to do. And so she was busy preparing this meal. And yet, in all of her movement, she never moved toward Jesus. She was pulled away from the very one that she should be prioritizing. Notice, friends, that she wasn't pulled away with bad things. It's not like, hey, Martha, how could you be involved in such sin? She's doing a good thing. She's busy with serving it says, distracted with much serving. The word for serving here is uh, a, a word from which we get the word deacon. She was serving the Lord in her mind. She wasn't spending her time on entertainment. She wasn't taking care of her own needs. She was serving others. And this is commendable in many ways. But she was distracted from what was most important. And that was worshiping and sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so, folks, here in the, the story of Martha, we get an example for ourselves that we need to learn from. And that is to see the danger of distractions. The danger of distraction. There are many things that can pull us away from that which is most important, that which is to be the priority. The good can become the enemy of the best. And so just want to give you some categories of things to think about for you to think about what is it that pulls you away from doing that which is most important? What is it that, that pulls your heart away, the focus, the eyes of your heart away from your Lord, away from Christ and towards other things? One category could be entertainment and leisure. We live in the age of distraction. We have things in our pockets and purses that are, seekingly, that are constantly seeking to distract us. It's their job 
to try to buzz you, to try to get your eyes to look at those screens. And so in this category, I'd put anything from uh, movies, TV shows, music, social media, video games, whether it's Wordle or Warcraft. Now, any of these things are not wrong in and of themselves, right? Entertainment, a show, a movie, books even for entertainment. These things are not wrong. They're not evil necessarily, but they can become wrong for us. They become, can become sin for us in two ways. First is if they have immoral content. And I just, we got to state this plainly, that if these entertainment choices, these things that we're taking into our eyes and ears are immoral and glorifying the immoral, feeding our minds and hearts with that which is against God's Word, then we need to recognize that these things are wrong. This world, we know, normalizes what God condemns. Oh, that's not a big deal. And so as the church, we must not be entertained by the very things for which Christ was crucified. But not only if they're immoral, but they can become sin if they distract us. And this is really the emphasis from our text that I want us to think about. So much of our lives today are concerned with the trivial and the banal. These things that don't really have any lasting or eternal significance. These things that entertain for a fleeting moment and then we're on to the next. And... And yet we've got to recognize how are we being distracted? How are we getting our, the eyes of our hearts and our souls and our time getting pulled into these things? There's such a battle for our attention. And yes, it's attention with our eyes, but it's really the attention of our hearts. Where are we devoting the time of our hearts? If we were to, uh, you know, look at, you know, you look at a cell phone bill and you can see how all the minutes have been used and all the calls. If we were to get like a breakdown of all the minutes of our mind and see how we spent the minutes of our mind, would there be, would it be clear where our priority is? That our priority is Jesus. That even through all the little things that we're doing in our lives, not that we're the monk who sits in the corner and just meditates on Jesus and doesn't do anything else, but it means that as we go about our daily lives and do the things that God's called us to do, that we're seeking to do it under the glory of God. That we have Jesus as first in our hearts, we want to glorify Him, want to treasure Him in all that we do and say. And so each of us need to take inventory. We need to look at how we're spending our time. How much time do you spend on your phone? How often do you find yourself looking for something to distract you? Have you ever had that moment where you pull out your phone and you're scrolling, you're not even sure why you pulled it out, but you're just kind of like swiping and going, what was that thing again? I... It's, our hearts are beginning to be trained for distraction. Everything is designed to pull us in. And yet these things can pull us away from what is best, from what is most important. We can, as a result, find that time in prayer is minimal. Time in God's Word is fleeting. Time reading books to help us grow in the Lord is scant. To paraphrase Pastor John Piper, entertainment and social media will stand as testimony on that judgment day that it's simply not true that we did not have time to pray. Isn't it true? We can all 
recognize that we have wasted precious minutes from that which is most important. We must, friends, as followers of Jesus Christ, disciples of Christ, we must seek to sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary did, to cut out that which is least important or to make time for that which is most important and recognize that which distracts us. But another way that we can be distracted besides our entertainment and leisure is with our responsibilities, our responsibilities. Now here we move into the realm of the required. There's things that you and I are required to do each and every day. There's, there's things we got to do, people we got to see, places we got to go, and these are good. And it could be responsibilities with our families, with our jobs, other commitments, and we shouldn't seek to get out of these. We should care for our spouse. We should shepherd our children We should seek to do our jobs and careers well. There's much that we are to do every day. But we cannot allow these good things to be an excuse to pull us away from the best thing, and that is to prioritize our spiritual lives. Prioritize our time with Jesus, learning from His Word and praying and communion with Him. God wants us to be faithful in our families, in our workplaces. But he doesn't want those responsibilities to pull us away from himself. He is pleased with us as we diligently give ourselves to our vocations. Whether you're a homemaker, lawyer, doctor, whatever it is that you do, God is pleased as you give yourself diligently and work hard unto him in those fields. But he's not pleased to see us drift in our affections from him because we're allowing those things to distract us from what's most important. God wants our hearts, not just our activity. And friends, intimacy with Christ does not occur if we never slow down. We can't expect to grow in the delight of Christ if we're always at a frenzied pace. We live in Southern California. It's busy lives. We're going from one thing to the next. And so we've got to fight Because we love Jesus and we treasure Him, we want to know Him more. We don't want the relationship to grow distant. We want to know Him close and rely upon Him. We've got to make time for that. Don't allow your responsibilities to distract you from Christ. The third cause of our distraction can be ministry. And this can be the most insidious of all. We're serving Jesus. We're doing what He wants us to do. In fact, people can think that we're godly, that we're walking with the Lord because our lives are so full of ministry. Showing up to this thing, serving at that thing. But Martha's example here, friends, reminds us that it's possible to be involved serving Jesus, serving the Lord, and that may not necessarily translate into worshiping the Lord. Being busy for Jesus doesn't mean that one is listening to Him. When we engage in ministry, we feel the joy of serving the Lord and serving His people, but we must learn from this account that it can become a distraction as well. It can pull us away from that which is important. And friends, this is something even those in pastoral ministry have to wrestle with. We can have our lives so filled with ministry, teaching the Word, studying the Bible, going to meetings, counseling, all these things, and yet those things can keep us from spending personal, intimate time with the Lord. That can happen to all of us. And so we need to see that the first truth we must learn from this passage in order to see that Jesus is the number one priority in our lives is the danger of distraction. But the second truth I want us to see from this text 
in order to prioritize Jesus is the digression of self-righteousness. The digression of self-righteousness. And we're going to see this in verse 40 in Martha's response. We continue to see what's going on inside of her as she opens her mouth. Because as Jesus said, out of the mouth the heart speaks, right? And so it says, verse 40, Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him, that is Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So we already see that she's been distracted. And you can easily imagine Martha is continuing to worry about the kitchen as she watches Mary sit at Jesus' feet. Uh, she's, the anger is starting to rise up. She has, uh, maybe is trying to get Mary's attention to come back. Hey, Mary, Mary. Or, or maybe she's extra clanging of the pots and pans, you know, trying to like draw her attention. Can't you tell that I'm still over here and you're just sitting over there doing nothing? As Jesus taught and Mary listened, there was a sinful downward spiral that was going on in Martha's heart. And this is a digression, friends, that we, I think, all, know all too familiarly. It, can hap- it happens in our own hearts. And so I want us to examine this that we might learn from Martha's negative example. The first step of this digression is just self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Martha believes that she's doing the right thing. Right, in this, you take a snapshot, you pause, freeze frame. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha's over in the kitchen working something up. Martha believes that she is doing the best and right thing. That she has chosen what is right and what is best. And that Mary is to be condemned. And so Martha is convinced of her own righteousness. What began very likely as a very kind and generous act of seeking to provide a meal to her Lord has developed into her believing in her own righteousness. She's in the right, and her sister is in the wrong. But the second uh, piece we see of this digression is self-pity. Self-pity. Martha begins to have pity on herself. She falls into this trap. No one is taking so much effort to serve Jesus right now as she is. Clearly, uh, no one else appreciates what she's doing. She says, I alone am giving my energy and time to make the best meal for Jesus. And it's at this point, is she thinking really about Jesus? Is she loving the Lord with all of her heart, soul, mind, and strength? Is she loving her neighbor as herself, her sister as herself? No, she's turned the focus on herself. The attention is all on her. The third part of this digression is resentment towards others. What happens when we are convinced of our own righteousness and we begin to have pity upon ourselves? We then begin to resent others that are not doing what we are doing. And she resents her sister, Mary. From her exalted, self-righteous position, she looks down her nose at her sister who's sitting there seated at Jesus' feet. And she becomes bitter in her attitude. She becomes angry in heart. 
And she takes Mary's actions as an attack upon herself. Mary's doing this to hurt me. Mary's doing this because she's not thinking of me. She's not loving me. How could she do this to me? She's left me alone to prepare and serve this meal. She obviously does not love me and is only acting selfishly. But this resentment of her sister leads to an even greater transgression. And this is the fourth piece of the digression that we see here is, is idolatry of the heart. Idolatry of the heart. Martha finally resents her Lord. Notice that when there's an outburst, where does she take her complaint? She takes it to Jesus, not to Mary. In her anger, she finally puts down the dish that she was working on and storms over to Jesus. I imagine her wiping off her hands on their towel as she goes, just steaming in anger. And even though it was Mary's actions that began this mess, she left Martha and went to sit at Jesus' feet. It is Jesus' fault, Martha believes, for allowing this to continue. She interrupts Jesus' teaching to deliver an urgent message. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. And in this message, we see two errors that Martha commits. The first is that she doubted the Lord's love. She doubted the Lord's love. Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? She began to doubt whether Jesus loved her whether Jesus even cared for her. Because Jesus was obviously allowing it to continue and because Martha was in the right that if Jesus allowed Mary to continue there, then Jesus too was not caring for her. She's convinced that Jesus' love must have ceased for her because he's allowing and seeming to endorse her sister to commit such a great sin against her. If he cared for her, he would have told Mary to go back and to help Martha. But he didn't. The second error that Martha commits in her words to Jesus is that she directed, she began to steer or direct the Lord's authority as if she had authority over the Lord's authority. She asked the first question, right? Her, her statement is made up of a question and a statement. First is the question, don't you care that my sister's left me all alone? And she assumes that, that Jesus would answer her, yes, Martha, of course I love you. To which the, she doesn't wait for a reply, but she just replies herself by saying, tell her then to help me. Assuming that you love me, tell her that she is to join me. Again, let's rewind the tape. This began as Martha's ministry to her Lord. She welcomed joyfully and generously and gladly her Savior to come into her home. Her heart was filled with generosity and now here we see this woman who's now resenting her Savior and beginning to doubt His love and beginning to tell Him what to do. Everything is flipped upside down. She now is no longer worshiping the Lord. She's worshiping herself, believing that her will is supreme. Her will is what is to be in charge in this moment. And she calls Him Lord... But she's not treating him as Lord, is she? She's acting like she herself is Lord. 
She's acting like Jesus' judge, telling him what he's doing is wrong. Believing that she knows the true intentions and motives of his heart. She here is acting like Jesus' boss, telling him what he should do. At this moment, again, Martha is worshiping herself. She sits upon the throne. The actions of the others in the house should serve her. They should act according to her wishes and should seek to please her. And because they've failed to do so, she's now expressing her wrath. Her honor's been trampled upon. Her wishes have been disobeyed. Her glory neglected. Friends, you see how common of a digression we can go down the same path? We can believe in the righteousness of our own cause. In fact, if you rewind to your most latest disagreement in your home, I'm sure some of these same traits are going to be there. That you are believing in what you think is right, that you begin to change in your resentment towards others, and that ultimately your view of the Lord changes as well. That you're not seeking to follow His will and glorify Him. Instead, you're seeking to follow your will and you want everyone else to follow that as well. We can end up hurting others in our anger. And ultimately, we no longer are listening to our Lord. We're no longer following Him. We're no longer acting as His disciple. Instead, we're idolatrously seeking to be His boss and His Lord. And so when we're in those moments, we are not prioritizing Jesus. Instead, we're prioritizing ourselves. When we follow this digression, our marriages are no longer about putting Jesus on display, but about our own honor on display. When we follow this same digression, our parenting is no longer about showing the gentle, guiding love of Jesus but about our will being obeyed absolutely. And when we follow this, our ministry to the saints is no longer about laying down our lives for our brothers and sisters, but about us being recognized. Friends, if we are to keep Jesus central in our lives, we must be aware of the way that self-righteousness takes root in our hearts and the way it corrodes, and the way it destroys relationships, ultimately attacking the very core of our spiritual lives. So I asked you, have you walked down this path recently? Is this a familiar trek that you've been on? And you can evaluate by looking, are are any of these signs, have they surfaced in your heart or in your life or your home or your relationships recently? Have you gotten angry recently at a family member? Oftentimes when we evaluate the situation, we realize at the core there is idolatry. There is a lack of seeking to put Jesus first and instead we've glorified our own desires. And we're no longer seeking to glorify Him but glorify ourselves. So, so far we've seen that in order for Jesus to be the priority in our lives, we must recognize the first truth, the danger of distraction. Secondly, we must see the digression of self-righteousness. Third and finally, 
we need to realize the primacy of the Lord. We need to remember again the first place that Jesus must have in our hearts and our lives. He is most important. He is preeminent in the universe and He is to be preeminent in our hearts and our lives. Everything else should be a distant second. Jesus has been spending time with His disciples and Mary. No doubt His disciples were with Him at this point. We don't have record of them in in this account, but they traveled with Him, and so they most likely were there. Mary joined in, began sitting at His feet. He's been teaching. He's been discussing and fellowshipping with them. He's been on a journey. He's no doubt tired, but He's not into me mode. He's not into, listen, hey, time out. I've been walking a long way. I've been doing a lot of teaching. I just need to put my feet up for a minute. So please, no one else come looking for teaching, please. No, he's still in serving mode. He's still in a time that he could demand things. He's still giving. This is our Savior. This is Jesus in his generous heart towards sinners such as us. He's still on mission, serving and teaching. And so it's in the midst of this as Jesus is kindly and, and patiently working and teaching to Mary and the others, any others that might have been there that, that Martha storms into and interrupts Jesus. Now Jesus is wise. He, no doubt, could pick up the subtle clues that were going on in that room that day. He, knew, no doubt, could see the look upon Martha's face when Mary came to sit down, and he was probably just waiting to see when this would boil over. Not only does he know Mary and Martha well, but he knows humans well. He knows sinful humanity well. He knew how this uh, would most likely go down. And so he knew that it's easy for sinful people to get pulled away from devotional living by the things that we believe are important and get pulled away, get distracted. And so Martha comes over, interrupts him, gives this rant in which she impugns Christ's motives, impugns uh, his desire for her, his, his heart for her. He could have scolded her. He could have said, Mary, or Martha rather, who do you think you are telling me what to do? But look at what his answer was in verse 41. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The double use of her name here, Martha, Martha. Is, shows a sign of, of affection for her. It's tenderness. And yet it's serious. He doesn't want her to miss what he's about to say. It shows that he's not discounting her concerns. He cares about what's on her heart, but he's calming her down. He's showing his tender love for her. And he first identifies the problem. Did you notice that? Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. 
He calls the pot black, the kettle black, right? He knows exactly, he says exactly what the issue is. You're anxious and troubled about many things. Her mind has been filled with, with many things. She's been looking to the needs of others. She's been looking to her own needs without relation to the Lord's role in her life. In other words, she said, all right, Jesus, I got this. I'm going to do this. And her needs became ultimate. Her desires became ultimate. And she's forgotten that she need not worry about anything. And friends, this is exactly what happens in our lives. When we're not worshiping the Lord. When Christ is not full upon our mind and our heart and in our affections, when we're trusting ourselves, what happens? We worry. We worry. Anxiety rises up in our hearts. When we're not trusting the Lord, when we're not fixing our eyes upon Him, we're not believing Him to be all that the Scriptures have, called him, have, have revealed Him to be to us, to recognize that He is the sovereign Lord who is in charge of all things, that is able to order all things according to the counsel of His will, and who has loved us with an eternal love. When we lose sight of that, that's when anxiety and worry rises up in our hearts and we start stressing out about all the things we have to do, about all the things that are on our plate, and we start thinking that it all depends upon us. Because, friends, we recognize all the things we got to do, both spiritually, physically, all the things that God's given us, we have limitations. We're human. We can't do it all. And that necessarily should bring us to an end of ourselves. We should recognize that we can't do it. But as soon as we confess that we can't do it all, that's where He wants us to cry out to Jesus and to depend upon Him. And so in the face of, He he identifies the problem. You're anxious and troubled about many things, Martha. But then He gives a kind reminder to her. He says, but one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Only one thing is most important. Only one thing is to head the list of our lives. Well, the one thing that Jesus was calling Martha to was not, as some commentators have suggested, one dish of food. Some commentators said, Martha, Martha, you're busy making too many provisions here. I don't need all these main dishes. Just make one dish and I'll be good. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind here. Because of what he says next. If you only stopped it at one thing is necessary, that could maybe be debatable. But what you get next is Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Mary was not eating the one dish that Martha should stop at. So we're talking more about something more serious, more important than just a a comment on the meal. Mary has chosen the good portion. What is this good portion? What is Jesus talking about? Well, I think that the good portion here takes its, uh, comes from the Old Testament. It's the, the idea of a portion finds its origin in the Old Testament. David, in the Psalms particularly, identified the Lord as the portion of his life. And it was only through him that he would be complete and satisfied forever. A few reminders of this. Psalm 16, verse 5 says, 
The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. Notice the singularity of focus. The Lord is my portion, my chosen portion. Or Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My portion forever. David understood that there was a thing that was most important, and that was the Lord Himself. And so he sought to direct his, his desires, his affections, his dreams, his aspirations. All of it were focused to the Lord. And so it's because that the Lord was David's portion, because he said, you are my chosen portion, because of that, he then sought to make it his primary aim to worship the Lord. We see this in Psalm 27, where he says, one thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David sought to make the Lord his portion and then because of that to worship the Lord as his primary thing in life. Now does that mean that David didn't do anything else? That he was just a Jewish monk that just like worshipped and read the Bible all the time? Well, no, he was a king. He did lots of things. But in the midst of all those things, there was a priority. There was something that dominated his, his heart. There was something that controlled his desires, that helped him to filter about how he was going to spend his time, how he was going to devote his life, how he was going to spend his years, how he was going to spend his minutes. Is this what the Lord would want me to do? And so I believe that when Jesus speaks to Martha and says that Mary has chosen the good portion, he's hearkening back to these comments in the Psalms and that essentially Mary has followed in the footsteps of David. Mary has said, Jesus is my chosen portion and my lot. Mary has says, my heart and my flesh may fail. But Jesus is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And so Jesus commends her. says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. In other words, Martha, Mary has chosen the best thing here. She's actually in the right, not you. She's actually made the right thing a priority. And so this will not be taken away from her. It's clear that there was a choice. Mary has chosen the good portion, which by implication, Martha, you have not chosen the good portion. There was a choice to make. Martha went one way and Mar Mary went the other. And so friends, this text, as we see the commendation that Jesus gives to, to Mary as, she speaks to, as He speaks to Martha forces us to ask ourselves whether Jesus is our portion. Do we see Jesus as preeminent? Is He first in our hearts? Is He first in our minds? 
Is He first in our dreams and aspirations? Is He first in our, in our careers? First in our families? First in our private time? First in how we seek to spend our lives? Is He your good portion? Is He the one that you live for, seeking to glorify Him, seeking to sit at His feet? Is listening to Jesus and worshiping Him your ultimate concern? Friends, Jesus came to earth. The Son of God came and took on human flesh. He lived a perfect life. And then He went to the cross in order to reconcile us with the Father, the one that we were estranged from, the one that we were in enmity against because of our sin. In other words, you can have a relationship with Jesus because He took your sin and paid for it on, on the cross. And let me just say that if you're here today and you're trying to live life your own way, you're seeking to follow out your desires and your concerns. That if we were to look at the, the list of priorities in your life, if your name tops the list, friends, let me say that this, that is a fool's errand. That there is a day of reckoning. That all those who have sought to live life their own way and sought to be Lord of their own life rather than submitting and bowing to Jesus Christ will face the wrath of God. But we live in the time where there is good news where all those who place their faith in Jesus are able to be saved from that future wrath. God sent His Son. He sacrificed of Himself that we might have life, that we might escape the penalty that you and I deserve. Our sin deserved eternal punishment. And instead, through the generosity of God, through the gift of His Son, He has... has granted to us eternal life if we would bow the knee and trust in Jesus. He calls us to repent, which means that instead of walking after our own ways and pursuing our own desires and sinning, that we do a 180 and we, we walk the other way. And instead of serving ourselves and serving sin, now we're serving Jesus Christ. We have our eyes set upon Him. And now He is Lord. He governs. And we are His disciples, seeking to learn at His feet. I encourage you, don't leave today without knowing whether you are secure in Jesus. Whether you know for sure that Jesus is your top priority. Whether you have truly trusted in Christ. We'd love to be able to help you to know that Jesus is your Lord and Savior today. Friends, we can only make Jesus our first priority because Jesus made His first priority the cross. He took our punishment for us, was buried in the grave, and then rose again three days later unto victory and now sits at the right hand of the throne of God. Or maybe you're here this morning and you said, yes, I have trusted in Jesus. I remember that day 20 years ago when the Lord broke into my sinful heart but maybe you're here and the distractions have begun to wear away your commitment to the Lord. You know that you're not following Him as faithfully as you should. That you're more like a Martha today than you are like Mary. 
Maybe you're anxious and worried about many things, distracted by the things on your plate. And friends, there are lots of things to be worried about. There are lots of things to be anxious about. There's lots to keep us busy. But we need to be or refocus this morning and recognize that one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. And that is to fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. And when we do that, we gain a steadiness that enables us to go through the trials of life. Enables us to stay focused upon Him. Church, we must make time to sit at Jesus' feet. We cannot be distracted by all the things that we have around us, but we need to open His Word. We need to pour out our hearts in prayer before Him. We need to develop intimacy with the Lord. Not simply doing religious duties, but seeking to cultivate that relationship with Him. This passage passage teaches us that we must have Jesus as the top priority of our lives and not allow the concerns of our lives and ministries to distract us from what is most urgent. And so in closing, I just want to give you three applications to consider. You can write them down and just think about them for your own, your own life. The first is silence and solitude. When was the last time that you set aside time for silence and solitude before the Lord? Open Bible in a journal. No music playing in the background. Maybe you need to go out and away somewhere where there's not the hustle and bustle, where there's no buzzing thing in your pocket. Silence and solitude. This is what Christians down through the centuries have found in order to step aside and to refocus. And it is only needed urgently in our day if it's been needed in other eras as well. The second area of application to consider that's related to this is Bible and prayer. Right? Just simply, are you spending time in the Word of God? Are you seeking the Lord and not just reading it and closing it and going on, but are you cultivating a relationship with Jesus? Are you allowing His words to turn back in prayer and praise to God? And then thirdly, a Latin phrase here, so you learn a little, learn a little Latin today, Coram Deo. Maybe you've heard this before. Coram Deo. It means before the face of God. Before the face of God. It's a, it's a Latin phrase that some use today to talk about the fact of how we live our lives. When you're driving down the freeway, when you're at your work, when you're uh, on vacation, when you're at the park, whatever you're doing, you're living all things before the face of God. You recognize that the Lord is there. You recognize that you're walking with Jesus wherever you go. And there's great joy in the fact that the Lord is with us. He does not forsake us. He walks with us and goes with us wherever we are. But we can also cultivate that relationship wherever we are as we drive down the freeway. As we're about to step into a difficult conversation at work, we pray and ask Jesus to be with us and to give us the courage we need. Or maybe it's about before we step into our son's room about to have a difficult conversation with him. We live life quorum Deo and know the Lord is with us and we can have that priority of Jesus wherever we go. I pray that each one of us would be able to think about ways, even this week, that we can grow closer to Jesus, because that is the one thing that is necessary. Bow together with me. Our Father, we thank you so much for this time in your word. I thank you for the reminder that Jesus is to be preeminent 
that He is preeminent in this world. He is exalted, far above all rule and authority. There is none who compete with Him. And Father, it is our privilege that we are able to know Him, that we have His Word and that we are able to know what He did upon the cross. We are to know His victory that He accomplished by conquering the grave. Father, we confess that many times we allow our own desires and concerns to take priority over Jesus. So, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here at Submit Bible Church. Father, that you would deepen their love for Jesus even this week. That you would enable them to feel that tug upon their hearts that they need to spend time with you. And that you would enable them to turn the phone off, turn the TV off, change the schedule and set aside time to seek you, to have those quiet moments with you, Lord, that they might step out into their callings and vocations, strengthened and with their eyes set upon the one thing necessary, and that is Jesus Christ. All into your name we pray. Amen.